This isn't Austin, even though um, I might sound a little manly. I just still have a cold. Um, this is actually Kelly, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you told him that. Jeez, and I'm Austin. So today, we've got a good story for you, but um, I realized that the past few episodes, I have not been um, shouting out our Patreons. I don't know what happened to me. I just kind of forgot, I guess. I don't really know what happened. So we have a quite a few to shout out. Are you ready? Hit it. All right. So we've got Lindsay Gomez. Okay. Marissa Richardson. Okay. Tara. Whoop. Beats. What? Was that a first name or a last name? Um, so I knew you were going to do this to me. Okay. So uh, her name is so hard to pronounce that I asked her how to pronounce it and she said I could just call her Beats. So did you say Tara and then Beats as yeah, two separate two people? different people. Beats sounds like Beans. I used to have an AOS screen name that was Beans5193. Of course from, you did. From Even Stevens. You know what? You actually do remind me of Shia LaBeouf a little bit. I saw this TikTok Appreciate the other that. day and he was riding around and I was like, you know, that's kind of like Austin because like you were cute and kind of dorky and ornery when you were little and then you grew up to be like really good looking and funny and successful. So I just feel like you resemble him a lot. Shia Man. LaBeouf. You just took a turn there. It's a compliment, I promise. Thank you. Beans. Beans5193. That was it. Hit me up on AIM. I'll be away status for now. You know what I would have done? If I would have been your friend on AIM, I would have set that thing to remind me or to tell me whenever you came online. Ding! I'm online. Yeah. And then I'd like rush to my computer and be like, oh my God, Austin, what's up? (laughs) Right. I appreciate that, babe. W-Y-D. TTYL. Let's keep rolling on these, though. Anyway, Brandy Owens. Shout out, Brandy. Morgan Proctor. Yep. Mandy Tomaseski. Uh, is it Desire or Desiree? Desiree. Probably, maybe Desiree Walgren. Hell yeah. Um, Erica Walters. Hell yeah. Morgan Cyrus. Hell yeah. Emmanuel Woods. Hell yeah. Jess Harkrider. Hell yeah. Kira Behrens. Hell yeah. Uh, my fourth grade teacher was Mr. Barons. Anyway, Sydney Johnson. Hell yeah. Macy Conway. Hell yeah. Colby Harvey. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie Lopez. Hell yeah. I bet Man, the listeners so don't really sorry. love us doing that. They probably so hit the I'm plus sorry. the 15 second skip button until that was over. <laughs> I probably did. I'm I would have. So okay, so are you ready for today's story? Let's dive right in, nose first. All right. So today we are talking about the murder of Betsy Feria. And this story has a lot of, it's a tangled web and there's a lot of pieces to this story. So pay attention, okay? Thanks. (laughs) I wasn't going to before. Uh, All right. So Betsy Feria, she was born Elizabeth K. Meyer and Everyone who knew her described her as a very fun, loving, outgoing, gregarious woman with a big, friendly personality. What in the hell does gregarious mean? Gregarious means like fun, just super fun and like outgoing. Why did we? Like literally why did we use that word? Because when I watched interviews of her friends and families. Um, describe her, somebody said gregarious, and they were like, yes, that's a perfect word to describe her. Okay, cool. Okay. Fond of company, very sociable, that's what it means. 
gregarious. Anyway, big personality. She had a lot of friends. She worked in the in- insurance industry, and she also ran um, her own business on the side as a DJ. She'd been married once before and had two daughters from that relationship, Leah and Mariah. But after her split from her husband, she met and started dating a man named Russ Feria. So Russ also had a really big personality, and he came from this big Italian family. He was very fun-loving, drawn to Betsy's similar personality. So Betsy and Russ dated for a while, and they eventually married in early 2000, and they settled down in Troy, Missouri, which is a suburb near St. Louis. So those of you who um, are from that area will be very familiar with a lot of the locations that we're going to talk about today. So the couple had a really positive and strong relationship. They both supported each other through thick and thin. Betsy supported Russ when he wanted to go back to school and get his degree in computer science. And Russ supported Betsy in her DJ business while she also worked full-time for State Farm. So as with any relationship, though, they did have their share of tougher times. And towards the end of their first decade of marriage things got a little rocky and they debated actually splitting up, but eventually they agreed to stick it out, work on their marriage. And that was a huge turning point for them. Betsy actually told her friends that she was so happy that she decided to stay and work on things and that she was literally falling in love with Russ all over again. And then just as things were starting to look up in their marriage, they were faced with an ultimate test. In January of 2010, Betsy reported feeling a lump in her breast. So she went to the doctor to get it checked out. And sure enough, after having a biopsy done on the lump, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Damn it. Yeah. And had to undergo chemotherapy. So this took a huge toll on the family, as I'm sure you can imagine. I mean, a cancer diagnosis is just unimaginable. Mm -hmm. So they were incredibly grateful for the support from their friends and their family, and in particular, one of Betsy's coworkers, Pam Hupp. So Pam worked with Betsy at State Farm, and she grew up in Delwood, Missouri, not far from Troy, She worked for years in the life insurance industry, but was fired on two separate occasions for forging signatures on policies, which apparently that happens. In 2001, she and her husband settled down in O'Fallon, Missouri. What do you know about O'Fallon, Austin? Suburb of St. Louis. And what do we have in O'Fallon? There's also a lean kitchen location (laughs) there owned by some awesome franchisees. So if you're looking for some healthy food in O'Fallon... That tastes amazing. Stop by Lean Kitchen Co., who sponsored this episode. Back to your show. Oh, you sponsored it? I'll be waiting on that royalty check. I'm waiting on my freaking income for doing these. I'm the sidekick. All right? I'm not even on W-2 or anything here. Back to the episode. All right. So, anyway, I guess I deserve that. While living in O'Fallon, she worked as an administrator for State Farm, and she flipped houses on the side with her husband. But by 2010, she stopped working and started claiming disability for back, leg, and neck pain. And then when her good friend Betsy was diagnosed with cancer, she spent a lot of time helping her around the house and trying to just take care of her friend. So that next year, in 2011... 
Betsy was relieved to find out that her cancer was in remission. So to celebrate, her and Russ booked a celebratory cruise. However, just one month before it was due to set sail, Betsy learned that the cancer already returned, and this time it had metastasized to her liver, making it terminal. Damn it. That sucks. Yeah. So this cruise went from being this, like, celebratory cruise to essentially, like, a bucket list item. One of Betsy's dreams was to swim with dolphins, so they made sure to do that while they were on this trip. And when they got back, Betsy told her friends that she had an amazing time and that it was like a a second honeymoon for her and Russ. So unbeknownst to Russ, however, Betsy actually changed the beneficiary on her life insurance from Russ to her friend Pam. And the policy was worth about $150,000. And Betsy told Pam that she wanted to make sure the money would go to her daughters when they got older. And Pam was supposed to manage the money. I don't know if she was afraid that Russ might spend it or what, but she just really wanted to make sure that this was earmarked for her daughters. Just five days after doing that, on December 27th of 2011, Pam gave Betsy a ride from her chemotherapy appointment. Um, I guess after her chemotherapy appointment, she went to her mom's house, which is something that she frequently did because chemotherapy would just wipe her out. So after this, Pam took her home and dropped her off at around 7 p.m. And then about three hours later, 911 received a hysterical phone call from Russ Feria claiming that he had just found his wife dead and that she'd killed herself on their living room floor. He told the dispatcher that he had been at a friend's house and just got home and found her dead. Prediction. He killed her. He's trying to pin it on the chick that he put the life insurance (coughs) in her name. Interesting prediction. So when police arrived, they found Betsy already in a state of rigor mortis and with a knife sticking out of her neck. She was like face down, but a knife was sticking out at the back of her neck. But it was immediately obvious to them that this was not a suicide. She had been stabbed multiple times, including in the back. It just wasn't like immediately obvious because of her clothing. But I mean, it was so bloody. Nobody would kill themselves in that way. And who's the moron that thinks they can stab somebody in the back multiple times and then say, yeah, they killed herself? That's a good point. That's a good point. What a freaking idiot. So anyway... An impossible way to kill yourself, obviously. It turned out Betsy had been stabbed 55 times. A second knife was also found under a pillow on the couch that she was found near. And blood was also found on a light switch in the house, on a pair of slippers in the master bedroom closet, and it appeared that there was no obvious signs of forced entry. So typically, as we've seen in the past, a crime like this where there's an excessive number of injuries, it usually indicates a crime of passion, likely from someone who knew and loved Betsy. Like Russ. Exactly. So the first person they look at, of course, is her husband, Russ. So police bring Russ in for questioning immediately. Couldn't have been me. I just changed her life insurance policy. Well, she, yeah. I mean, it it appeared that she changed it. But anyway... He tells police that he worked from home that day and that Betsy had an appointment for chemo that afternoon, although he couldn't remember what time her appointment was. He told them that after working all day, he went to his friend Michael Corbin's house for a weekly game night. 
Although they didn't actually end up playing games that night, they just watched movies instead. He said he left around 9 p.m., went to Arby's, ran a couple other errands, and got home around 9.40. And he admits that his first thought when he saw Betsy was that she killed herself because she had talked about killing herself before and even tried to hurt herself before. So that was just his initial reaction. Mm -hmm. But many of her stab wounds, like I said, were concealed by her clothing. So when police realized that she had been stabbed 55 times, they knew this was a killing fueled by rage and passion, making Russ the prime suspect. And they wondered how anyone could mistake someone who's been stabbed 55 times as being a victim of suicide. It seemed like a really desperate reach to just displace the blame, right? To be able to keep stabbing yourself even. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's impossible. And they were to her back. Like, you don't stab yourself in the back. Think about it. Think about just stabbing yourself in the thigh 55 times with a knife. Think about taking a little pocket knife and stabbing yourself 55 times. Yeah, right. Well, and this was like a long serrated knife. I'm sure. That was used. Big time. So to gather more information about that night, police go to Betsy's friend Pam's house in O'Fallon to discuss her version of events that day. Pam told them that Betsy had an appointment for chemo that day and that she usually left those appointments feeling pretty wiped out. So Pam was going to bring her home so that Russ didn't have to. And the investigator asked Pam if she knew of any problems in Russ and Betsy's marriage. And she did admit that there was a conflict recently. She recalled a time Betsy told her that she woke up to Russ holding a pillow over her face And that when she realized what was going on, he said he was just kidding around, but wanted her to get a sense of what it would feel like when she did die. What? So police start honing in on Russ's alibi. They go to the friends that he was with that night, and they try to find, like, any cracks in their stories. But they were unable to do so. And then they cross-check his stopping points that night. They check surveillance footage of the gas station he went to and the Arby's that he went through. And he also stopped for dog food that night, and he kept every single receipt. So they found it odd that he was making so many stops that night and that he kept all the receipts as though he was, like, purposely trying to make sure he had this solid alibi. Mm -hmm. So Russ gets brought in for a second interview with police, and this time he willingly undergoes a polygraph test, but he fails it. So with that, he's placed under arrest, but at that point, he wasn't charged with anything. The failed poly is damning, yes, but it's not admissible as proof. So under Missouri law, you can only hold someone for 24 hours without being charged. So without being able to officially charge him with anything, they let him go. And the prosecuting attorney's office said, we need more. So... Once more evidence came back from the lab, the results were inconclusive. They weren't able to decipher the DNA found at the crime scene because it was on items that would have had DNA just from people living and being in that house. So, for example, the light switch, where there was blood on the light switch. So many people could have touched that light switch day in and day out. So if they found Betsy's and or Russ's DNA on that light switch, it wouldn't be indicative that Russ was guilty. It wouldn't mean much at all, yeah. However, they ultimately determined that Russ had to be the killer because there was a trail of blood leading to one drawer where the towels were, and those towels were used to clean up some of the mess that was made. And they could see that after doing a luminal test. 
So their reasoning was that only someone who knew exactly where the towels were could have committed this crime. And who better to know exactly where the towels were than someone who lived there, like Russ. So with that, he was officially indicted and charged with first-degree murder. And the trial happened over a year later, and his defense argued that there was no blood on his body or on his clothes from that night. And they brought in the four friends that he was with that night who all corroborated his story. But the prosecutors countered that his friends were just bolstering an alibi for him and that they couldn't be trusted. They were just trying to help their friend out, right? Mm -hmm. So on November 21st of 2013, a jury ultimately found Russ guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life plus 30 years without the possibility of parole. So Betsy's daughters, Leah and Mariah, of course, were devastated. I mean, they had a really hard time accepting the reality of what happened to their mother, that she was killed and by a man that they trusted so deeply. He was like a father to them, raised them since they were little babies. They also struggled with the fact that now they had to go to Pam anytime they wanted to access the funds that their mother left them. And Pam told the girls anytime they wanted money, she would make it available to them. She told them that she put the money in a trust for them, but unbeknownst to them, as soon as the trial was over, she closed that account, apparently, or the account never existed, and she kept all that money for herself, $150,000 of life insurance for herself. So Leah and Mariah sued Pam for that money, and during the civil trial, Pam very arrogantly told the court that Betsy wanted Pam to have that money and that she would she could do whatever she wanted with it. She would like sit there with her arms folded. I mean, she just had this attitude, this air about her, like entitlement. This is yeah, she was entitled to that money. You're not gonna touch it. It's mine. And she also admitted during this civil trial that the only reason she ever even put it into a trust or said that she put it in a trust was because the prosecutors asked her to during Russ's trial. Ultimately, the judge agreed that no other name was on the policy, so it was legally Pam's money to do with what she wanted. But because of Betsy's new confession that she had only put the money in a trust because of the prosecutors in Russ's trial, Russ's defense team was able to file an appeal based on new evidence, and he was granted a retrial in June of 2015. During this new trial, the defense was finally able to argue because they couldn't do this the first time. It wasn't allowed. But now they could actually argue that another suspect could have been likely. Pam Hupp was the last person confirmed to see Betsy alive that day. And her cell phone records proved that she was still in the area of the Feria home up to 30 minutes after she said she left. And when she texted Betsy that night and to tell her that she was home, the cell phone actually pinged her still in that area. So she was not home. She was still at Betsy's house. That's a problem. So at Faria's first trial, a detective testified that the home appeared to have been cleaned of blood, but said that there were no photographs of the crime scene because the police camera malfunctioned, of course. Before the retrial, however, the defense discovered more than 100 photographs of the crime scene that had been taken by police but had not been disclosed to the defense. And those photographs showed no evidence that the home had been cleaned of blood. So that's a huge issue. 
Pam was not called as a witness this time around, although the defense presented testimony from detectives that Pam had made numerous conflicting statements about her activity on the day of the murder. The detectives also testified that three years after the murder, Pam admitted for the first time that she had apparently been having a sexual relationship with Betsy and that Russ learned of it just before the murder and that that's why he got so angry and killed Betsy. So on November 6th of 2015, Russ, so he had agreed to just a bench trial, which means there's no jury. You're allowing the judge to decide if you're guilty or not. Is that riskier for the person? It can be. It's just something that you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of every different trial. But in this case, he just wanted a judge to weigh the facts, right? So the judge acquitted him, and he was released an exonerated man. So just when you think that this is like the end to the story, right? We find Russ didn't do it, or a judge found he didn't do it. And, you know, that's that. It was probably Pam. Nine months later, okay, in August of 2016, 911 receives another phone call from a hysterical woman. This time, it's Pam Hupp, and she's calling to report an intruder in her home. And on the call, you can hear her arguing with a man, and she's saying, no, I'm not going to get in your car with you. And then she's like, help, help. Help! It literally sounds so staged. If you want to listen to it, you'll have to find it on YouTube. I was going to add it here, but I'm not very good at that. And every time I try to do that, it just is so staticky. So one day I'll figure out how to do it. But anyway, the 911 call was just very bizarre. And so when police arrived, they find, oh, I should mention too, at the end of that phone or that 911 call, you could hear five gunshots ring out. So when the police arrive, they find a man dead from multiple gunshot wounds laying in the hallway of Pam's house. And when investigators processed the scene, they found a Ziploc bag in his pocket with a note and $900 in cash. And the note essentially said in nearly indecipherable handwriting, follow Hup, everyone throw disposable disposable phones away, get Hup in car in garage, take to bank, Get Russ's money, should be one hundred to 150000 Take Hup back to house, get rid of her. A little to-do list. Make, make back like Russ's what? wife. What? Make back like Russ's wife, assuming that means put a knife in the back of her neck like Betsy was found. So that's what the note said. So police weren't able to find any identifying information as to who that man was. So they ran his fingerprints, and it came back that he was a 33-year-old man named Louis Gumpenberger. So Louis was a father of two and a resident of St. Charles. And in 2005, he was in a really bad car accident that left him physically and mentally impaired. He suffered a traumatic brain injury that left him unable to process complex thoughts and emotions. And he would become easily frustrated. But for the most part, he was very soft-spoken, often childlike. And he had trouble um, utilizing the right side of his body. So his hand, his right hand barely worked. He could barely hold a spoon, according to his mother. So how on earth, then, did he end up dead on Pam's hallway floor, right? 
So police go to Lewis's mom's house where he'd been living. And his mom had actually reported him missing because she hadn't seen him and she was worried about him. So when police informed her that he had been killed after breaking into a home, she was just dumbfounded. It was so completely out of character for him. And like I said, he could barely use his right side. So how on earth would he be capable of breaking into a home and like attacking this woman, right? It just didn't make any sense. Then detectives get a phone call from a police officer over in St. Charles County saying that they were interviewing a local woman named Carol who was describing a really bizarre incident that just occurred earlier that week. So Carol said that she was sitting outside her house when this blonde woman pulled up in front of her house and introduced herself as a Dateline producer. And she offered her $1,000 to reenact a 911 call scenario for the show. And she agreed at first, but then something just felt off. This woman didn't have a business card or a camera crew with her. And she just kind of questioned the, the validity of her proposal. Like, is this really how they do this? They just like stroll streets and find a random person sitting outside with no credential or no like experience. Complete and, BS. Yeah. So while she was in the woman's car, she admits that she got into the car and then she was like, Ooh, I screwed up. And she's like, actually I changed my mind and made the woman take her home. So on her home security footage, you could see this black 2016 GMC Acadia and her license plate, which came back registered to a business that Pam Hupp owned with her husband, Mark. So with this, they believe that now they had an understanding of what really happened to Louis Gumpenberger that day, that he was lured by Pam under the guise of an acting opportunity to make a quick buck, but it ultimately cost him his life so that Pam could once again frame Russ for another crime. So she just wants that Russ put away. She wants him put away and she wants all that money to herself and she doesn't want to be held responsible for any of this. Wait, the money was hers though. Yes, that's true, but... I just wonder if they would have found that she was actually the one who killed Betsy. The money would have been taken away. But nine months passed. Why didn't she just let it all go? I mean... Like, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I think she probably assumed that if they think Russ didn't do it and he's been exonerated, they're going to come after somebody else. No, I get it, but just nine months passed, you would think it'd be like... Nine months isn't a long time. No, I know, but I mean, it's long enough to be like, pack my bags, I'm going to Cabo. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But I guess if, I don't know, it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't know, Austin. I don't think the way that they do, so it's not something we can understand. Yeah, I get that. Idiots. So on August 23rd of 2016, police arrived at Pam's house and, of course, arrest her. They brought her into the station, and while she was in one of the interrogation rooms, she was signing documents uh, regarding her rights, and she managed to sneakily keep one of the pens that she was offered for those documents. She slides the pen into the back of her jeans and on the cameras within the room, she could be seen feeling around her neck, presumably looking for a jugular vein. Then she's like, Hey, can I go pee? And one of the officers is like, yes, I'll get a female officer to escort you to the bathroom. 
She's escorted to the bathroom and she tried stabbing herself multiple times in the neck and wrists. Oh my gosh. So she's found, of course, and paramedics were able to stabilize her because her wounds ended up just being superficial. Um, apparently it's a lot easier to stab your friend than it is to stab yourself. Help, I'm covered in blue ink. Help. That was kind of insensitive, but what a dumbass. That was pretty good, Austin. Help. I'm covered in blue. I'm in the left bathroom stall and I'm covered in blue ink. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, she gets booked in jail and her mugshot, it's pretty funny because she's got her typical smug look on her face, but her neck is wrapped in like gauze and stuff, but it looks like she's got like menstrual pads taped to her neck. My goodness. And her hair's all in disarray and she just looks like a mess. Um, so she was charged with first degree murder in the shooting death of Lewis Gumpenberger. And the prosecutors made it clear that they would be seeking the death penalty for that case. Pam, of course, pleaded not guilty, and it was also determined that evidence would be allowed in court relating to the killing of Betsy Faria. So Pam ended up changing her plea from not guilty to an Alfred guilty plea. What does that mean? So this is Did you know I was going to ask that? Yes, because it's it's not a common thing. Not everybody knows what an Alfred plea is. And she did this so that she could avoid facing the death penalty. But an Alfred plea, for those of you who don't know, is essentially a guilty plea without confessing to the actual crime. So it's kind of like saying, I know the evidence looks like I did it, and I know that a jury would probably find me guilty, but I still don't want it on record that I'm guilty. Like, I'm innocent. I didn't do this, but I get it. It looks bad. Like, that's essentially what it is. So are you guilty or not? It, it is technically a guilty plea but you're still maintaining your innocence which sounds like crap yeah it's it's, i'm gonna maintain my innocence everything's gonna stack up to me i know it looks like that but it's it's a way of saving her own life because by by accepting this plea deal she avoids the death penalty okay well at least that makes sense yeah and she realizes that you know if I don't do this, they'll probably find me guilty and then I'll be sentenced to death and then I'm really screwed. So, Which is what she wanted anyways because of the blue pen. Yeah, the pen. That I don't know if it was really stupid. a blue pen, but it was so, black or blue because that's legal. Okay. So, anyway. After it wasn't this, a purple pen. Are you done? Go ahead. <laughs> so, after this, questions were raised about the suspicious pan- or death of Pam's own mother, Shirley Newman. Like this came so out of left field, right? Shirley was a widow who suffered from dementia and was living in an assisted living facility. And back in October of 2013, Pam had spent the evening with her mom. And when Pam dropped her back off at her apartment, she told the staff not to expect Shirley for dinner or for breakfast the next day. And then sure enough, the next day, around 2.30 in the afternoon, a housekeeper found Shirley dead beneath the balcony of her apartment. Good Lord, this lady's making a living out of killing people. Yeah, she is. Sorry, it's not funny. It just was, it reminded me of a song. What? (laughs) I would say delete this part, but I think people are going to be as blown away as I am at what you just said. What are you talking about? Well, how does that song go that's like, sending on a living, working for a living, killing... I don't know. I just sounded like killing for a living should have been a song. Oh, my gosh. Right on. Oh my well, God. if you're listening, you know us well enough now to know that 
We're okay people. <laughs> we don't laugh we're just about death. Skate right past that. Let's act like that didn't happen. So anyway, she sounds like she's killing for a living. Yeah. So anyway, the medical examiner determined that her death was the result of blunt force trauma to her chest after an accidental fall. But they also found eight times the expected concentration of a sedative in her system. And this was one, excuse me, this was one that was prescribed to her, but they, she had eight times the amount of what she was dosed, right? So a month after her death, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous letter suggesting that Pam killed her mom for the life insurance money. And earlier that year, prior to Shirley's death, okay, this is before her mom died, Pam was actually recorded saying, quote, my mom's worth half a million that I get when she dies. If I really wanted money, there was an easier way than trying to combat somebody that's physically stronger than me, end quote. Where was she quoted saying that? I'm not sure. I just read it in an article. Somehow in the whole... I don't know maybe if... The, maybe it was like the trial they were questioning or something. Right. I, when I say it, I'm not sure. I don't know if it was testimony that she gave to investigators or testimony that was given to a friend, but it was something that came up. So ultimately, though, nothing ever came of that case. After interviewing multiple people who knew Shirley and claimed she was unsteady on her feet, it was determined that it was too hard to prove her death wasn't an accident. However, the official cause of her death on her death certificate has been changed from accidental to undetermined. And then finally, as it relates to Betsy Feria, in March of 2020, Russ Feria received a $2 million settlement for the wrongful conviction and time spent in prison for a crime he did not commit. Sorry for what I said, Russ. (laughs) It was a bad prediction, and I apologize. I'm sure he accepts. And Betsy, he could be listening to this shit. That's crazy because it's so weird, Russ. If you're listening, wow. Sorry about that. (laughs) I knew you would. And but I mean, that's the thing. Like a lot of people, not a lot of people. I mean, even close family members thought right at first that it was Russ that did it and didn't immediately suspect Pam. So he received two milli. Two mil, which he deserved. Yeah, more than that, honestly. When you consider how much time and heartache he had to go through. Right. And then Betsy's case was reopened in 2019 and finally on July 12th of this year, so literally two weeks ago, Austin, wow. Pam was charged with first degree murder and armed criminal, criminal action for the December 2011 murder of Betsy Feria. Pam sucks. And she has pleaded not guilty. Of course. Pam, uh, of course. if you're listening by chance. She's not, but she's in Chillicothe. You coffee. suck. She's in Chillicothe, which is not too far from She's me. running up life insurance premiums for all of us good, normal people. Pissing me off. I'm serious. <laughs> She's a scam artist. I mean... And, and what you do, people, these people do this shit for money. And it's like... You know you're, A, you're going to get caught. But B, like, the money's not going to make you a happy, fulfilled person. You're still... You're, you're going to piss it away because easy come, easy go. And like... It's not going to make you happy. You're missing your loved ones. Like, they just don't get it. Right. And then how do you sleep at night after stabbing someone yeah. 55 times? Oh, I'm good because my bank account's filled up. You're an idiot. Yeah. It's pretty crazy what people will do for greed. And I guess, speaking of that, um, when Betsy was still alive, Pam and Betsy created this fund for a friend who was also going through cancer treatments. And they... They raised money for this charity, right? And Betsy thought that this was something that, you know, the 
the cancer um, victim, I guess, was going to be able to live off of, and it would really mm-hmm. help them, right? Pam pocketed all that money. Betsy had no idea that it was all just one of Pam's scams. And it's just, it sucks that Betsy was associated with that because mm-hmm. she was doing this with Pam, but Pam took all the money when Betsy so, thought it was all going to go to that poor patient. So not that this matters at all, like zero, but was Pam living like a baller life or was she just living pretty low key normal? Do you know? So her house. Like middle class? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, her house looked normal. Like she had a nice car. She had an up-to-date newer car. But so she was pretty middle class. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like she was rolling deep. I mean, it wasn't millions. millions that she was right and it doesn't matter i just like i like i don't know which is another sad thing it's like you did this for what like even if even if you were living like i don't know it's just crazy yeah and you know this story you know i i tend to try to keep these episodes kind of short because a lot of you listen on your way to work and you've said it's like a perfect time frame for your morning commute or your um or your uh chores right But if you really wanted to do a deep dive, there are five Dateline episodes dedicated to Pam Hub. Five separate episodes on Dateline. And then there's a Snapped episode. And there's also a movie coming out with um, Renee Zellweger, who's going to play Pam Hub. And it's going to be like a TV Is her name Hub or Hump? Hub Austin. Maybe she got made fun of in school because her name was Hump. Maybe that's why she is the way she is. The way she sucks. She definitely sucks. Great job on this episode, Anyway, if you want to do a deeper dive, I mean, it goes pretty crazy. Just all her lies and her variety of stories and just the way she was able to manipulate the system and the way she thought she was really going to win. She thought she was going to be able to fool investigators and just our justice system. She really thought she was going to get away with it. And now she's... Chilling up in Chilla Coffee. Chilling in the chili. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Shout out to all the supporters. Thank you very much. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye. I didn't think I'd be able to do it with my voice like this.